Good morning, everyone. Please turn to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. We are still on how to have joy in the Lord. This will be a several-part series. And uh, this morning, we're going to be talking about humility and how humility can bring joy in our lives. So just as a little bit of a recap from last week, we have these steps of keeping our mind on other people, right? So you're going to see some things that seem to overlap. In some ways, they do. But in last week's, it was keeping our mind on other people. You know, worrying about ourselves or how life is going to affect us, it's a very quick way of being depressed, it really is. And yet there's this thing in our nature that always looks at things at how they revolve around us, whether we want to admit it or not. I don't feel good today, you know, you're bothering me today, or this person cut me off, or it's, it's kind of all centered around us. And that's one way to be very, very disappointed, because we can always find things that affect us negatively. So that one was keeping our minds on other people. In other words, thinking about other folks and realizing there are other people going through tough things. And in some cases, maybe a lot tougher than we're going through. And so keeping others minded was that first step. The second one was keeping our hearts on other people. So it's one thing to have it in our heads, quite another one to have it in our heart. You know, sometimes we know what we should be doing, but actually doing that, we're supposed to love other people, but sometimes it's hard to love people, isn't it? I, I, if you guys just did a little survey in your head right now about someone that's hard to love, I'm sure a picture comes up in front of your face, someone that's difficult to love. But we need to have our hearts towards them. Because if we have our minds to them, we have our heart towards them. Then the third one was praying for other people. It will automatically come about that we will end up praying for those other folks. Because our mind is on them, our heart's on them, and God will have us praying for them. How many times a day or a night or whenever your prayer time is, if it's throughout the day, how many times do you, self, do you find yourself praying for someone else? Someone in your family, a friend, someone at church. Quite often, our prayers end up being, <laughs> Lord, you know, bless me. Lord, bless this. Bless my kids. Lord, bless, you know, keep gas in the car, keep my job, those kinds of things. Those are not bad, but we need to be other-focused. I'm convinced that our dad loves us so much that if we look out for other people, he'll look out for us. I just think that's the way he works. He loves pouring his grace and his mercy and his resources into someone that can kind of be a funnel and give those back. And this morning, I'm going to add one comment to that that applies to all four of these steps, and that is we need to make God's word and fellowship around that word our top priority. Well, Pastor, what are you saying? Well, I'm saying you need to have fellowship with the Lord. Now... You expect a pastor to say this, right, so that more seats are filled. That's not the goal. The goal is how are we going to keep Christ-minded if we're not hearing about the Word of God? 
if we're not studying the Word of God, if we're not learning what God requires of us. And let's face it, we have this human nature that just likes to drift. Intentionally sometimes, unintentionally at others, but we have a tendency to drift. And we need that fellowship. We need the Word of God to kind of reach out and pull us back in. Because it's too easy to get sidetracked in all of that. So this morning we're going to continue, like I said, in that theme, how to have joy in the Lord. But this one is going to be humility brings joy. Now, I want to read something to you. Because every single one of us suffers from this thing called pride. We do. In one way or another, it seems to rear its ugly head. And pride is what keeps us from doing all the things that we've talked about, all the things that we've mentioned. How does it affect me? You know, pride gets in the way. Someone can just say something to you offhandedly. It can bum out your whole day. Or someone can just not appreciate all the effort that you put into doing something, and it can bum you out. Or someone doesn't recognize you the way you would like them to recognize you. And it can cause you to be bummed out, to be depressed. I would like to read something to you about someone whose pride caused and cost them absolutely everything. It's in Isaiah chapter 14, verses 12 through 13. And it reads like this, How you are fallen from heaven. Oh, Lucifer, son of the morning, that Lucifer could literally be translated day star. You know, Sunday, you got the morning coming up, the darkness is fading away, the sun is coming up. So he's kind of making that reference. How you have fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning, how you are cut down to the ground. You who weakened nations, this, this, is, this is good stuff, you who have weakened nations, for you said in your heart, and these are the I wills that, he got, that got him in trouble, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the furthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds and I will be like the most high. Wow. What arrogance. And, and this is how... He answers that. He says, you shall be brought down. Yet you shall be brought down to Sheol, to the lowest depths of the pit. And if you get a chance this afternoon, finish reading uh, Isaiah 14. Because it goes on and gives a, a more uh, elaborate uh, example of what's going to take place and how God is going to do this. But I wanted to share that with you because... Those I wills, maybe we haven't said everything that way, but sometimes when we put ourselves on a pedestal and we get hurt by everything, we live in a world right now where everybody gets offended and hurt by everything. 
You can't say anything anymore. You know, I'm sorry, I'm old school. If you're, if you're a man, I'm going to call you a man. If you're a woman, I'm going to call you a woman. That's just the way it is. If that offends you, I'm sorry. You know, I, I don't mean to offend you, but I remember taking a couple biology classes and things that kind of solidifies that. So if we're going to follow the science, I'm going to follow the science on, on that one, okay? So the point is this. We have to be careful because right is being turned into wrong. Wrong is being turned into right. Everything is being messed up. And guys, I think this is the guy that's in charge of it all. Say, he's trying to destroy what God has built, what God is, and everything that belongs to God. And the problem is, we get so caught up in this cast of characters, this guy or that one or that one or the other one. It's a whole movement, guys. It's the spirit of the Antichrist. And we've got to be careful not to play into that. Now, what am, I, what am I trying to say? I'm not saying at this point in time to become militant. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is stick to the truth. Stick to the Word of God. Depend upon the Word of God because we're going to need it. We need it every single day. And if things continue to progress, we're really going to need it. And so we're going to need to be able to hold fast to the truth and to the promises of God. This is pride at its best. This is what pride does to us. I could do my job better than my boss. I've only been at McDonald's for two weeks, but I should be the lead man. I should be the supervisor. I should be the owner. Pride. Pride gets it in the way. Pride gets in between a husband and wife. This competition that can exist between them. Pride gets in the way between the kids and the parents. Pride gets in the way of almost absolutely everything in our life. And I can't think of a quicker way, again, to not have joy in the Lord. Because if we're too proud of ourselves, somebody's going to come along and kick one of those stilts out from under us sooner or later. And we realize that we are just flesh like everybody else. And if something good comes out of our life, it's because God's doing it. Our very breath is dedicated to God. He controls it. We don't control that even. Okay, so we're going to take a look at four characteristics of humility. And as you might example, those characteristics are best exampled by Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning in Jesus' name. Lord, we're just folks doing our best to work out our salvation, not by works, but because we love you, Father. Trying to figure out how to, how to live our lives, how to live our days, how to live our marriages, how to raise our children, how to prepare for whatever is next, how to pay off our cars or pay for our homes. We're just folks trying to, to learn and trying to grow. And Father, because of that, I feel real comfortable in this fellowship because we're all just people trying to love each other, trying to do what you would ask us to do and trying our best to be the example that you would want us to be and falling upon your grace and your mercy, Father, when we make mistakes, 
So may you, have your hand, may you have your hand upon us this morning as we study your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Look at verse 1 of Philippians 2. Therefore, remember the therefore, you ask what it's there for. And it's that one that ties the previous chapter to this chapter, or the previous thought to the next thought. Therefore, if there is any consolation, now we don't use that word too much, but it would translate as support. If there is any support in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, and it's not really an if, is it? Those are all available, but they're available in Christ. Not so much in the world, but they're available in Christ. So he's saying, if these things exist, then fulfill my joy by what? Being like-minded. There are so many Christians today that are not even like-minded when it comes to the Word of God. Guys, if we throw this away, what do we have? If we decide we can, uh, you know, we make a Ronco Bible out of it where we can tear out pages we don't like and add things in that we do like, what do we have then? We have nothing. And yet that's what's being done. He's saying to the church in Philippi, he's saying, let's be like-minded. And then he goes on to say, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. Now, I'm going to explain that a little further as we get going. But then he says in verse 3, let nothing be done through selfish ambition, Satan, we get a pretty good example of what took place there, right? Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only, he doesn't say for yours at all, he says, let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Now, this, this just goes completely in the face of everything we're taught in the world. It is 180 degrees different than anything you're hearing now or have heard probably ever. And that is to be lowly in mind, not puffed up, not arrogant, but humble. You may have the highest IQ in the room, but not everybody needs to know it. You may be the most gifted person in the room, but you don't need to tell everyone about it. Lowliness, lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Now, what this is not, what this is not is it's not all of us dressing the same. It is not even us agreeing on every minute detail of life. It's being unified in the main purpose and goal of our faith. We need to be unified in this. We really do, guys. This is going to become more and more and more important to you as time goes on. 
It's going to become more important to all of us. It's going to be what holds us together. It's going to be what gives us joy. It's going to be what keeps us from losing our minds. <laughs> we need the Word of God, and we need to have that oneness. We can disagree on the other things. You like one president, somebody else likes another president. I say we get rid of them all and put Jesus on the throne. <laughs> but the point is this, we're still Americans. You have the right to feel that way. There have been hundreds of thousands of soldiers that have lost their life to preserve that liberty. And I don't have the right as an American to tell you what you can believe and what you can't believe. I can suggest a good way to live, but I don't have the right to do that. And yet now, if somebody disagrees with us, we just label them as a mortal enemy. Well, good luck in your marriage. Maybe, maybe that other opinion has some merit. Maybe not, maybe it falls apart at some point in time, but maybe it has something in there. If we see our spouse as someone we can learn from that might have a good idea once in a while, that makes for such a, a better marriage. And we have to remain teachable. We do not know it all. Have you ever met anyone who knows it all? Don't look at each other. Have you, met, have you ever met somebody who is never wrong? That's usually the same person. <laughs> they're never wrong. They know everything, and they're never wrong. Can you imagine living with someone like that? What that life would be like? Get to know them before you get hitched to them. Okay, so Paul is begging them to love in the love of Christ. And let that be the top priority in everything they do and everything that they say and the way that they act. Let that be the governing purpose. Guys, we're, if you're a Christian, you're a truly a born-again Christian, you're not the same person you used to be. You're a different person. Why? What changed you? That's all that changed us. That's what changed us. So we need to have that. So Paul's saying, make Jesus absolutely everything in your life. Because if you don't, selfish ambition and conceit will become a part of the mix. And even though you love the Lord and you're trying your best to not get in that position, once in a while it's going to come up. But you have the power to overcome it. If you ask in my name, believe me. Jesus says, he can give us the strength to overcome those things. Please notice that phrase, lowliness of mind. Lowliness of mind. What does that mean? That's a decision. I have to decide that I need to change my attitude. I have to decide I don't know everything. I have to decide that having a lowliness of mind, being humble, is giving value to other people. 
considering their interests and their opinions as important as my own. Oh, no. No, they're not as important as mine. I'm educated. I know what I'm supposed to do. And I, I'm, I know. I know the answer to this. We don't know anything except for the Word of God. You guys have heard me use this illustration before, but I'm, I'm going to use it again. You, got, you want to buy a big screen TV for the sports coming, right? For football this season or whatever the reason. And uh, you're not going to go with a not a 50-inch TV. <laughs> not when they're 80 now. You have to cut out, a, you know, replace a wall. Sean can help you with that. He can help you remodel. But, you know, you have to cut out a wall. But you're going to have as big a TV as you can possibly get. So what do you do? If, hopefully, you do your research. Hopefully, you go and you look at the price. You see how many, you know pluses it's got, how many stars it's got, how it's favored. You go everywhere you can, you look everywhere you can, you check prices, 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 and you check every price you can. Finally, the day comes. You go down to that place and you buy that TV. You're proud that you've done so much research and you know you got the best deal possible. And a week later, the ads come out. And it's $200 cheaper. That's how smart we are. We're not gods. We can't tell the future. But all I'm saying is, when you put that into perspective, you begin to realize we only know a small amount of what there is to know. So when we are willing to do that and consider other people's opinions, how many times have you ever had somebody share something with you and you go, I never thought about it. That just wasn't in my purview. I, I just, I didn't see that. And you realize that was a real important thing that I missed there. Don't admit that to your wife. No, I'm just kidding. Admit that to your wife. Admit that to your, to your husband. Okay. Romans 15.1 says, We then who are strong ought to bear with the scruples of the weak. And not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, leading to edification. What? I got to live my life for my neighbor? Yeah, to some degree. To some degree we do. There is a big thing amongst Christians now. A lot of Christians like to drink. And there's nothing in the Bible that says you can't have a drink. But it says, do not be drunk. Now, you may be one of those who says, hey, God says I can do it. I come in mowing the yard. I want to have a beer or two. You do. You might be the one that says, I know what the word of God says. And I know that God allows me to do that. And you have somebody else that goes, no, I don't drink at all. Who's the smart one? Who's the non-smart one? Which one are we talking about? Which one has the place? Well, one knows the scripture well enough to know that there is liberty there. Maybe the other one doesn't realize that there's liberty there. 
But the wise one will say, and get to talking to that individual, and perhaps find out they're a recovering alcoholic. So the wise one says, then I'm not going to do this around my neighbor. I'm going to bear the scruples of maybe someone who doesn't know. I know this is a touchy subject, but my point is this. We're not supposed to just live for ourselves. We're supposed to live for other people. We're not supposed to hurt other people. So if (laughs) you allow certain things in your life, but you invite somebody over that's a recovering alcoholic, it might be a wise thing to take the beer out of the refrigerator. And you might say, well, it's mine. I shouldn't have to live by his scruples. But that's not what this says, does it? It says, out of love, I give up what I want to not hurt somebody else. Now, that's getting tougher and tougher in the, Lord, in the world today because everybody's hurt about something. But you know what I'm talking about. Sensible human beings. Sensible Christians. And you guys have heard me talk about that, that before as far as the legal limit and what that does and knowing when you're drunk and when you're not drunk. And, uh, you know, not, not too many people can tell when they hit that mark. There's not like a little dial that comes up in front of your eyes that goes, you're drunk, you're drunk, you're drunk, you're drunk. So, you know, it's, if you're a drinker, know your limit. So, Webster's shows this word, scruples, as to show reluctance on the grounds of conscience. To show reluctance on the ground of conscience. My conscience won't allow me to drink. I can't tell you not to. But being raised in an alcoholic family and seeing the abuse and the hurt. It was like being hurt over and over and over and over and over and over again. Then I watched my, my mom go through so much in a in an alcoholic home and no dad around. I remember being in high school and I played first base because I was left-handed. I remember I made this awesome play and I looked up in the bleachers. Everybody's dad was there. Not mine. That's what it does. It can just destroy family. So for me, my conscience, my scruples won't let me do it. But I can't tell you not to. Because I would be going against Scripture. I'd be going against scriptures. So it's what, what it's trying to say here is that both parties have to give a little. You know? There has to be grace on both sides. So this first characteristic of humility, and it's almost like what we had last week, true Christian humility thinks about other people. What is this going to look like to my neighbor? Will they look at that and say, some Christian, you are? Or will they go, hey, your God allows all this stuff? I like that. (laughs) I want to go to that church because they allow all of these things. You can't go by those opinions. You got to go by this. That's what this says. And showing love to one another. Okay. Others minded. Look at verse 5. Let this mind... Let this attitude be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. 
Okay, so that our example is Jesus Christ. In verse 6, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God because he was Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, the triune God. He didn't consider it robbery to be equal with God. However, or but he made himself of no reputation, taking on the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. That's like taking a a multi-billion dollar king that takes off his crown, takes off his robes, and he just becomes a commoner to just show them that God loves them. To tell them that God loves them. To be willing to suffer the human condition so we can't say, well, he's God. Yeah, he he doesn't know what I'm going through. Oh, yeah, he does. But our flesh likes to be served. Honey, while you're up, would you get me a glass of water? I'm not saying that that's bad, but we like to be served. It's kind of nice, huh? Let me get your slippers. Let me, you know, put you in your favorite chair and put you back in the rocker recliner and you don't have to do anything else tonight. I'll do it all. And a man goes, yeah, that's... Not always, man. Not always the guys. Jesus served when he didn't have to. He gave his life for mine when he didn't have to. He became the dad I never had. He became my father. And I, for the first time in my life, found out what a real father looks like. How a real father is supposed to, to act and to be. A lot of you are in the same place. A mom or a dad that just wasn't there for whatever reasons. When you and I expect to be served, that's when your problems are going to get, they're going to magnify because everybody else wants to be served. So you're fighting for that position. Look at James 4, verses 1 through 3. He says, where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desire for pleasure, that war in your body, your members? You lust and you do not have. You murder and covet, and you cannot obtain. You fight and you war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask amiss, incorrectly. You miss the mark, so that you may spend it on your own pleasures. Where do the fights come from? Our flesh. That's back to those original thoughts about ourselves all the time. That's where the wars come from. Because you lust and you don't have. You want something and you can't get it. So you get angry. Or you get mad. Or resentful of God. 
or resentful of somebody else that can't afford it or can't get it or can't do it. That's why you have a lot of these people who are not afraid to walk up to your window and put a gun to the window and take whatever it is they can take. Because they want what they don't have. And probably most of you got those things by working for them. But man, that's a shortcut, isn't it? I don't have to work for nothing. I can just get a gun, put it in your face, and I can take whatever I want. <laughs> if that's not the ultimate selfishness, I don't know what is. You worked hard for what you got. I don't want to work, but I'm going to take it from you. But you know, we might look at that and go, but I'm not that individual. Well, the same element of pride is there. And this is what Paul is talking about. You fight and you war. You do not have because you do not ask. Whoa, 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 whoa. You mean I can have it if I ask for it? Well, the odds are much higher you're going to get it from Jesus if he wants you to have it. You see, if ultimately we know that God's a good God, that He's a good Father, and we know that He'll give us what is necessary, not everything we want, but He'll give us what's necessary, and once in a while as a good dad, He'll just give you a present. He'll just bless you. Something you didn't anticipate. A check that you weren't expecting, a friend dropping by, or somebody just doing something in your life. Something you weren't expecting because God's working in and through them to bless you. If we give up something in the name of the Lord, we're not giving up anything, really. We may want something so bad, but God says, no, 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 not now. We've got to be able to say, okay. I'm not saying there won't be some disappointment, but sometimes you've just got to say, okay, God. Not my will, but your will be done. I know that you're a good God, and you must have a reason that you don't want me to have this. A reason that I cannot see. So I trust in your 2020 vision of the future. I trust in that. And if you live long enough in the Lord, you begin to see that that thing that you wanted would have been a bad thing. And don't be surprised if he turns around and gives you something else that's even better. And when I say better, I don't mean worth more money. I mean something that fits you and your family. Something that will mean more in the long run. And he says, ask. In Jesus, we can ask. We can ask. And he says, a lot of times the reason those prayers aren't answered is because we just want to bathe in it. We just want it for ourselves. But if we ask in the will of God, what do I mean by that? Well, here's one of the ways you know you, you've prayed and asked in the will of God. At the end of it, you say, Father, not my will, but yours be done. Well, but I can't say that. I want it. <laughs> isn't that faith isn't that faith putting your faith in God and saying you know God I don't want it if you don't want me to have it okay so the second one 
It's kind of like we had last week. True humility serves others. Without humility, you won't be able to serve anybody. True humility serves other people. A servant does what? A servant serves. We see that in the example of Jesus. We can think we're servants, but unless it translates into service, it's only a thought. Now hold on a minute. Husbands, do you serve your wife? Wives, do you serve your husbands? And do we say, well, yeah, I'm good for a couple days. (laughs) But then if they don't appreciate it, I kind of put up a fight. Look what we did to Jesus. He gave absolutely everything in service and we killed him. But he gave everything. And then at the end of it all, he says, Father, forgive them. Why? Because they don't get it. They know not what they do. They don't understand. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I would have been firing lightning bolts or something out of my fingers. But he didn't. He didn't do it. He said, Father, forgive them. So, true humility is sacrificial. The author of Hebrews says this, Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, that means other Christians and witnesses we have from the Bible, the history that we have, let us lay aside every weight, every weight. If you're going to run, you're going to run a marathon, you're going to do any kind of running, which gets harder and harder as you get older but if you're going to do any running what do you do you try to lose as much weight as you can to remain healthy so you're not carrying around the extra pounds let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us let me ask you a question real quick are you ensnared in sin this morning I know that's a hard question but if you are you don't have to be And you go, well, I I like it. Well, of course you do. That's one of those where you have to say, Father, but not my will, but yours. You know what his will is to not be ensnared, to be free. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Now, he's taking the Olympic runner and he's associating it to our walk in the Lord, our run in the Lord, our marathon in the Lord, if you will. It says, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, for, excuse me, who for the joy, you get that? For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, but he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. What? He hated the shame. He despised the shame. But for the joy, he gave his life. What joy? You got it. Us. You're his joy. You're his joy. He went to the cross for you and me. It brought him joy to know he was going to set you and I free. 
Allow us to be the husbands or the men that God designed us to be or the wives that God designed us to be or the children God's designed us to be. He came to set us free and that brought him great joy to know that that works. If you and I look at serving our spouses and our kids with the kind of godly attitude that God wants us to have, it can bring us a great joy. Yes, it's going to get tough sometimes. Yes, you're going to feel taken advantage of at sometimes. It says here that he, he despised the shame But if we do it in the name of the Lord, it's going to bring us joy. So even in the midst of the sacrifice, he had that heart to do his Father's will and purchase back us. That kid that grew up in Peoria or grew up in Maryvale or grew up in South Phoenix or grew up wherever you grew up to purchase you and me to give us meaning, to give us purpose, to give us hope, to give us love. He's the great equalizer. Doesn't matter how we grew up. Doesn't matter any of those other things. When he comes into our life, he equalizes it all, and we get a new clean playing field. Okay. Being humble, being a servant is going to cost us. Look at James 2.15. We're getting there, folks. James 2.15, if a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to him, depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled. In other words, a brush off. But you do not give them the things which are needed for the body. What good is that? What, what does it profit? Thus also faith... Faith, many of us here I know have faith in Jesus Christ, but he's saying faith by itself, if it does not do something because of that faith, it is dead. Let me, let me put it the way he put it. He says, thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. And I purposely didn't use the word works the first time I went through it because we have a tendency to associate that with working our way to salvation. That's not what it means. You and I do godly works because of Jesus. Not to get to Jesus. Not to earn his grace not to finally have the Lord say, well, yeah, you can come in. You're getting in by the skin of your teeth, but you can come in. We already have him. We already have him. He's in us. He's in our hearts. And therefore, we want to serve him. We want to tell other people about God's goodness and God's grace and God's mercy. So he's saying, if you say you have faith, but there's nothing in you that causes you to serve anyone, then that faith is dead. It's in a dead object it's in a dead idea. It's in a dead thought. But Jesus is alive. And if that is in him, we're going to be alive. So he goes on to say, show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith with my works. You believe that there is one God. Now, he's, he's probably got some people specifically in mind that are, that are thinking this way. And he said, you believe that there is one God? Well, that's, uh, that's awesome. You meet a lot of people and they say, well, I, I believe in God. Well, which one? Who, who is your God? 
Then they start going into the wind and the air and the ground and all the other stuff. That's not the God of the Bible. You've made that one up. You've fabricated that one. He says, you believe that there's one God, that's okay. You know, you can, you can believe that, but that won't get you where you need to be. He says, you believe there's one God, you do well. But look at what he says. Even the demons believe. Demons have no doubt that Jesus is real. They believe in Jesus. So someone might say, well, hey, I, even, I believe in Jesus. Well, what's the proof of it? Is, it, is he in your life? Are you finding yourself serving other people and loving other people? Have you changed it all? It's just even the demons believe and they tremble. Why do they tremble? Because they know the truth. They know who he is. That's why they tremble. But then he says, but do you want to know, foolish man, that faith without works is dead? So this brings me to the last one. True humility glorifies God. Why? Because it's like him. That's a, a characteristic that you and I are going to fall short in unless we allow him to live in us. He'll give us that humility. He'll strike the pride and say, hey, you know, you, you need, you've reacted wrong to that. You need to change that. You're not the smartest person around. And even if you are, be humble. Be kind. Be gentle. 1 Peter 5, 6 says, Therefore, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. And I love this. And he will what? Lift you up. He will exalt you in due time. Now, is that the motivation? Hey, I'm going to be humble because God's going to exalt me. You've lost the purpose and the meaning of humility. He's just saying that if you're humble yourself, God will take care of you. God will lift you up. God will take care of your needs. All right, we're going to close with this. I want to look at a couple of other examples and then we're going to close this chapter. If you look at chapter 2, verse 12, he says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only. In other words, not when I'm, just when I'm there. But now how much more in my absence because he's in prison. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. In other words, learn, continue to learn, continue to grow, continue to develop. For it is God who works in you, to will and to do for his good pleasure. Verse 14, do all things without complaining and disputing. What? <laughs> you mean I can't complain anymore? I can't argue with people over everything? You've heard people say, well, I'm just playing the devil's advocate. Well, why are you on his side? Why not be God's advocate? You know, some, sometimes people think, well, I'm just playing the devil's advocate as though that's a good thing to put something in a, in a juxtaposed position so you, you can see both sides. Well, that's, all, that's good, but I hate the phrase. I hate the phrase. Don't complain or dispute over things. Boy, that, that's got to hit every single one of us. That has to hit every single one of us. Because there's a lot to complain about today. <laughs> there's a lot of things that are whack 
They're they're messed up. So it's easy for us to complain. But God would rather us pray. Take, Take all of that that we want to grumble about and just take it to the Lord in prayer. So, that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and a perverse generation. If that doesn't apply to us today, more so than I've ever seen it, I don't know what does. That you may become children without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights of the world. In all of the darkness that's out there, you guys are the light bulbs. We're the light of Christ. And yeah, there may be a few light bulbs broken in the process. There may be a few that are shining a little dim. But we're the light bulbs of Christ. Who's going to be the light of Christ if not us? How is the wickedness going to even see the light of Christ if you and I don't try to live for Jesus Christ? How are they even going to see it? I would venture to say you might have neighbors either to the right or to the left of you or across the street that we don't even know. We don't, we don't even know. Maybe we've never even met them. Maybe we step out on the front porch. Hey, hey, are you going to hell or are you going to heaven? Or maybe we just assume they're going to hell, but we still don't take the time to go check. But that's just, that's the world we live in, isn't it? We must be the lights of the Lord. And it says in verse 16, holding fast the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. Yes, if I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and I rejoice with you all. You know what he's saying? Yeah, I'm stuck here in prison, but you guys doing well makes it worth it. When I look and see that you're walking well in the Lord and you're doing well in the Lord, I know that my time has been well spent. So if I am going to be poured out, I can at least look at that and say, this has been a good thing. This has been a good life. So he says, I am glad and I rejoice with you all for the same reason you also be glad and rejoice with me. Okay, I'm going to close with this. It's God that works in us. But let him. But let him. You might say, well, God's God. He can do whatever he wants, whether I will give him permission or not. He doesn't work that way. He's a gentleman. Give him permission. If we have things in our life, give him permission to come in and clean them up. Nobody's perfect. So you may have something in your life that shouldn't be there. Give God permission to come in and clean it up. And you go, well, it'll hurt. Yeah, maybe a little. But maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe you'll finally have victory over that thing that you've never been able to have victory over because you're finally letting God do the work instead of trying to do it in the flesh. So, Ephesians 2.10, we are His workmanship. If we're going to be a piece of work, let us be a piece of work that is God's work. (laughs) 
You hear people say that all the time. Yeah, they're a real piece of work. May that be said in godliness to be that piece of work. We're workmanship created in Christ Jesus for what? For good works which God prepared before the beforehand that we should walk in those. Do everything without griping and complaining. Here we go. I'm going to close it. We look at verse 19. But I trust in the Lord Jesus. And I trust in him to send Timothy. He's going to name some other guys. We use Jesus as the example, but here's some other godly men. He says, but I trust the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, that I may be encouraged when I know your state. For I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. For all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus. But you know his proven character, that he is a son with his father he has served with me in the gospel. Timothy, Paul considered his spiritual son. Therefore, I hope to send him. And then he talks, I'm going to go on, kind of summarize this. You might see in verse 25, another guy by the name of Epaphroditus. He would come and minister to Paul's Need And so he's kind of given these guys uh, some attaboys, if you will, saying that these guys are awesome men because they don't seek their own. They seek the things of Christ. Now, here's what I want to say with that. And that is we need to be, let, let me back up. It's sad. It's sad to see Paul at the end of his ministry right? All that he's done, all, that he, all the people he's laid his life down to and with and for, to see him at this place where he only has two or three people he can count on. Isn't that sad? I mean, doesn't that, doesn't that, that kind of breaks your heart a little bit, doesn't it? Because we're fickle human beings. And he was in prison, and most of them didn't want to be associated with him because he was in prison, although he had given absolutely everything to them. Let us not be ashamed of Jesus. 